Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let me go, let me go, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. Mike McDaniel still still on paternity leave. Uh, I think the kid's almost in college by now, but he will be back very, very soon. <laughs> As you can tell, I am not alone once again. I am joined once again by our esteemed uh, Louisville colleague, Mr. Mark Ennis from 93.9 The Ville in Louisville. Mark, welcome back. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm ready for another season. I was uh, joking on the air today, but uh, this feels like the place where you start hearing players like I'm tired of hitting our own guys and running to hit somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, and I think fans and media like this is we all hit the same wall right here. Mm. Like, I don't know if I've really got two plus weeks of of chicken salad stuff to talk about before we actually <laughs> get some games. But uh, we're, we're, I can see it from here. And they, despite what Dan Campbell says, I think there is light at the end of that. <laughs> I, it, it's definitely one of those things where everyone looks great in practice. And oh, uh, oh. guys are flying around. <laughs> oh, yeah. Guys are in shape. They lost weight. That's right. Uh, or they gained weight if they didn't gain weight. Yeah. <laughs> right. And if they were flipping tires and if they were already flipping tires and no longer flipping tires. That's right. Now That's right. it's all machines now. Yeah. <laughs> always whatever we were doing, we ain't doing it anymore, and it's going to be great. <laughs> you're, a, you're a seasoned radio vet, I can tell. Oh, I know how this works. <laughs> I've heard a few things. <laughs> well, let's, let's get into Louisville here, Mark. And um, we've talked before on this show, and, and you kind of explained the interesting relationship that Louisville fans tend to have with, you know, A, the football coach, but B, just, uh, you know, a lot of folks around the athletic department, maybe. And, and, I know Scott Satterfield started out real hot at Louisville, had a really good first year in 2019, 2020, uh, not so much, kind of a a rough patch. Uh, He was caught, you know, snooping around the South Carolina job, but you you talked about it. It wasn't really the way that it was perceived in the media, but still had some people upset about that last year. I believe it was seven and five, um, but, or sorry, six and seven, six and six, six and six. Yeah. Six and six. And then uh, the loss in the bowl game to air force. Um, But a couple of close losses, I, I guess it seems like it's a thing where this is a, a situation where his seat might be kind of heating up of like, we need to have a little bit more consistent winning. I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that, but then also how some of the more recent well-publicized recruiting run that they've been on might be kind of impacting the heat on the seat of Scott Satterfield. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever seen a coach run the like the approval rating roller coaster that that scott's really run you know came in and he was very publicly the second choice when jeff brom didn't take the job right uh came in and then uh wildly overachieved you know i think the vegas over under total his first year was four and a half they went eight and five won a bowl game Mm -hmm. i really had an excellent year and then proceeded really then uh that uh the next two years uh to 
a losing record. They went six and six last year, lost the bowl games to six and seven. And they had a losing record the year before COVID year is weird, but you know, Scott, after that second year during the COVID year interview with, with uh, South Carolina and Louisville fans have this like fear of abandonment when it comes to football coaches. And part of it is, I think the basketball coaches fall, you know, Louisville had 40 years of two coaches, mm-hmm. two hall of fame coaches who had chances to leave for the NBA, had chances to leave for UCLA, had chances to leave for things, and they never did. But football, since 1965, has had one coach stay for more than four years. That's insane to me. Until they fired Bobby in 2018, which was his year five. But you had Howard, you know, but every other coach has basically been one group of players, and they've either been terrible and fired, or they've won, and they've they've skipped for somewhere else. And so there's this uh, terrible, I think, uh, fear of it and as soon as there's like a hint of it let's just fast forward Let, let's just all right, we know you're leaving just go or like we know you're not going to win just get the hell out of here <laughs> and they but he hasn't done either and actually i think he kind of learned his lesson he just finished building a giant house that he talked to all he's talking a ton about at uh, acc media days here <laughs> uh and has not there hasn't been a whiff of him uh, anywhere else <clears throat> but he was you know he was very unpopular after they lost the bowl game and I don't recall a coach who has ever rocketed upward despite playing no games, you know, the way he has this offseason between uh, a couple of signing day wins, doing well in the transfer portal, and then the 2023 recruiting class, which is right now setting up to be better than any recruiting class Louisville has ever, ever signed mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, player rankings and that sort of thing. And obviously NIL is a piece of that. Uh, Scott will tell you, you know, COVID year and everything, they really cut way back on staff and all of this, and it really hurt them. And now they're sort of fully staffed the way that he's always wanted them to be, and it's paying off. It's, I'm sure it's a constellation of things, but uh, with the recruiting class that they have uh, on tap right now, if they're able to hold the vast majority of it together, I mean, he's – it's funny. They've gone from – I think the average fan here has gone from thinking, give me uh, some reason why I shouldn't fire you, to – Please give us a reason to not fire Mm. because of sort of what's out there, right? Like, please don't be so bad that we can't even justify waiting for a caliber of player and a combination of players that Louisville's never signed before. So it's been a a wild ride for him uh, in his time here. But he's, I would say, he's pretty popular right now. The the way you talk about it is interesting because it is kind of this like no man's land between de- mm-hmm. not quite bad enough to fire him but not good enough to get him a job elsewhere. It's the worst place. <laughs> you know, you really can make a reasonable case if you had say, if they had come out and said he's fired after last year after the bowl game. I think people would have understood. Okay, and then they didn't make that decision. They said no, we believe in it. And I think you could be like, I mean, okay, like I, I see. You know, everyone knew it was a major rebuilding job. You know, I think one of the, the South Carolina thing is by far the number one thing that works against Scott, but that first year works against Scott. Mm-hmm. You know, if they, we all spent the summer building up for, I just want to see him marginal improvements. I just want to see progress. Maybe they'll go four and eight when they went eight and five. And it was like, well, if it's going to be like this, it's going to be great. And I think if really, if you had just taken his first two years and flipped him, you know, where they were just a little bit better year one and then went eight and five year two, people would be like, all right, this is gold. And instead, I think he really has had that first year kind of held against. Him. Yeah, I've I've heard some talks about that with him and a few others where it's that you're too good too soon and then take a step back and it really works against you that way. It's 
That well, you, about you can't right. go asking for patience after that, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you rock it ahead of expectations, and then you can't be like, "But I still want all that patience." So like, no, 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 buddy, you raise the bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was curious too, Mark. I know that last year, so after 2020, Dwayne Ledford leaves. Uh, he goes and takes the offensive line coaching job with the Falcons. And last year, I believe, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Satterfield was kind of his own OC. And then this year brings he's in, always been his OC. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's kind of what I figured. Yeah, because he brings in Lance yeah. Taylor. He was former running backs and run game coordinator at, at uh, Notre Dame. But I have to, that's what I was going to ask you is I just I figure this is still Satterfield's offense, regardless of whose title is OC here. The, there's 100 percent. And he's they've both kind of said that, like, this is going to be his offense. But I will say this while. Uh, if he tried to say it, it would be a lie, and he he hasn't said it, so he's not lied to anybody. Like he's going to be the the play caller, he's going to be the guy. But this off season, he's been pretty upfront about, hey, we recognize not everything we thought we could come here from App State and do is translates. Mm-hmm. He's hard, like, and we need we have needed to. I he has needed to kind of step outside of. Uh, his tree of guys and his just sort of way of doing things. And I think both Lance Taylor and Wesley McGriff who came, uh, you know, he's been, I think he's coached every team in the SEC. I swear. I think he has uh, came in on the defensive side as kind of a co-coordinator. There was a, has been a self-conscious decision and an effort to kind of challenge, you know, to have an extra set of eyeballs. That's not, exactly like you were like one of your own disciples. I mean, Brian Brownie raised up like all these coordinators and position coaches are all guys that he kind of worked with at some point. And these guys are outside the circle, mm-hmm. you know, and bringing different. And I think he did that on purpose. So I do think he's trying to stretch himself a little bit, but Louisville went six and seven last year, went six and six in the regular season. They had three games uh, against good teams that they lost on the last possession, the Virginia mm-hmm. game, the Wake Forest game, the Clemson game. I mean, that's a nine and three team. If they just, I mean, literally make a kick, catch a ball, you know, like it's crazy. Yeah. So I understand his saying, I can't stay the same, but clearly I don't need to blow this thing up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they really tried to do. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, last year, yeah, the, the final record is six and seven, but of those six regular season losses, three of them by a grand total of 10 points. I remember Virginia was like fourth and 15 or something that they scored the winning touchdown on. I mean, you were that close to, like you said, an eight and four, nine and three kind of season. They're not far. Yeah, that I think that's what Scott's trying to tell everybody is like, look, if you like, I know we're on the short end and I don't think he's tried to minimize. I mean, they've talked so much like the whole offseason thing has been finishing, finish, like got to finish these things. You know, I think the biggest challenge, I think Scott's number one task for this upcoming season is convince people that these past two years where you've just sort of been middling and come up on the short end of all these one score uh, games and stuff that this isn't just how it's going to be, you know, that this is a stage on the way to something better, Mm -hmm. you know, show some sort of movement here. And so I think it's really incumbent on him not to, to not just sort of hold his own against the schedule that I think is actually pretty tough, but to show some real progress, he's got to win seven, eight games, you know, do show some sort of new achievements beyond what he's been able to do so far. Well, and so far, I mean, the offense has been a has kind of been the highlight of the team, and and the defense has been a, a sticking point really the whole time he's been here. I think, uh, and as you mentioned, Brian Brown, the defensive coordinator, going into his fourth year, a guy who came with Satterfield from App State. Um, 
I, I'm a little surprised, I guess, with the results so far that that he's sticking with Brown. But as you mentioned, I mean, Wesley McGriff coming in as a co-defensive coordinator as well. Is there any, I guess, is there concern in the fan base of like, why are you bringing Brown back for a fourth year? Like, we need to see something new here. There's, I mean, a tremendous amount of concern. And I think he at least mitigated that a little bit by by bringing in Wesley McGriff to sort of be a, you know, a kind of a, a contrarian voice. Hmm. Uh, and coach the secondary and Brian Brown is giving up corners too. McGriff is doing the secondary and Brian Brown is just doing the, the coordinating. Uh, Interesting. So this is part of that. Hey, it needs to be different, but not, not brand new, you know, and, and Louisville did show like significant statistical improvement, like the first year and a half, but then tremendous reversion uh, and regression last year. And it just so happened that they played like, eight extremely good quarterbacks last year. Like It was like no mercy for Louisville on the schedule last year. And this year's pretty bad, too, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly. So, you know, I think the the hope and the expectation here is you err on the side of continuity because you bring back a lot of guys, and it's like you sort of um, negate what you get in experience when you change the whole system. So I think the thinking was, well, if you're going to bring back a lot of guys on defense – then let's err on the side of continuity, but let's make sure we're checking it with with kind of a new voice. And and Brian Brown's been pretty straightforward uh, about Wesley McGriff. Hey, you know he's constantly telling me like, well, what about this? What about this? Sort of challenging some of that stuff. And I think the hope is, if you just make some of these marginal changes, the little bit of difference that Lance Taylor makes, the little bit of difference that Wesley McGriff makes, that some of those one score games, those literally last play of the game games, you know, go a different direction. It, it, and again, it is one one possession, one score here or there. I mean, makes a big difference in the final record. Um, as as frustrating as that can be, I'm sure for for the coaching staff. You, you mentioned all the great quarterbacks on the schedule, and that's kind of one of the things that I think has quietly happened in the ACC the last couple of years. Is there have been a lot of really good quarterbacks, kind of quietly within the conference. One of them, pretty clearly, is Malik Cunningham, who who plays for Louisville. Obviously, um, he he's a guy who not only I mean, obviously the team's leading passer, but also the team's leading rusher last year. Got a lot of work. Has kind of done everything for this offense uh, in the last three years as the starter. I guess my my main question about him, I mean, from a rushing standpoint, he gets a lot of carries. Is is there concern either from you, Mark, or from you know that you've heard from within the program about limiting his work on the ground just to keep him fresh, keep him healthy, or is it this has just clearly got to be part of our game and part of our offense that makes it so good? Well, I think there there is an awareness that he's not uh, nearly as durable as like Lamar was. You know, Lamar mm-hmm. didn't miss anything mm-hmm. uh, at any point for as much as he ran. And Malik's not sturdy like that. And he has an injury history. He's missed games. He's missed portions of lots of games. Uh, so I think that there is a desire to run him less, but not schematically. I think what they'd really like is to just have other people run the ball. Mm. And interestingly enough, at ACC Media Days, he talked several times. He's like, I don't think I'm going to rush for 1,000 yards this year. Hmm. And I don't I don't think he was saying, like, I'm going to be a worse rusher. I think he's saying, like, they've got four really good running backs in an offensive line they feel really good about. The thing about Malik's running is I think some of his big play running numbers sometimes can mask – statistically what an offense that like wasn't efficient Mm -hmm. you know like short yardage down in distance uh uh, first and 10 running plays and stuff like they weren't they weren't dominant in those sorts of ways it was a lot of like fits and starts but Malik was just so dynamic 
uh, they could get more efficient. But if they do, and it means that Malik's running the ball less because Tyon Evans and Trayvon Cooley and uh, Jalen Mitchell are running the ball more, they'd be thrilled with that. And that was what I was going to mention, too, was Jalen Mitchell, uh, Travion Cooley, the two leading rushers not named Cunningham on last year's team, and yet neither of those guys might be the starting running back. You mentioned Tyon Evans coming in from Tennessee. He looks like he might be special. Yeah, I was told uh, by somebody that had covered Tennessee, like when he announced that he was transferring, like the kid's a handful in terms of personality and uh, every every non-blue blood's going to have a half dozen guys if they want to win that they're going to have to kind of manage that are high maintenance. And mm-hmm. he apparently is that kid. But by all accounts, at least right now, they, it seems like they have his buy-in. And he really is uh, a spectacular runner. His, his freshman highlights and stuff from Tennessee were, were excellent before he got hurt. They can keep him healthy. Uh, they really ought to be able to keep that running back room fresh. Because you've got three guys uh, that are really and Jahar Jordan transferred in from Syracuse and got some reps later in last year really looked nice. They got four running backs that are all a little bit different, and I think Scott is kind of enjoying the possibility of just sort of going into each each week like, well, let's see who's got it this week. Hmm. So, and that's kind of how he did it at App State too, mixing and matching by skill set and by by game plan, opponent who's just feeling it. You know, the zone running thing is weird because it's like. You got to block it, but like it's such a big part of it is running back reading blocks, you mm-hmm. know, cutbacks, and yeah. And I think I would love to talk to like McVeigh or a Shanahan or somebody who you know, like this is their thing. If if they would say that there are like there just are games where somebody seems to just be seeing it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the zone kind of thing. I think that happens. I swear to you, I think that happens, and I would love to. Uh, to see if somebody who, who's like committed to this offense, like philosophically, would say that because I think it happens. Just wake up on the right side of the bed, and all of a sudden, somebody just yeah, you're it finding creases, today. and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yep. it, it leads to a more explosive rushing attack, I think, than a lot oh, of yeah. schemes do. You know, and, and like you said, I mean, sometimes it is fits and starts where if if those holes aren't developing, I mean, it's it's a lot of stuff going for no gain or or even potentially a loss. But then when it's working, it's eight, ten, twelve yards a carry, and and it's. Make it make me, you know, you got to stop me before I'm going to stop doing it. And it's, it's kind of a thing of beauty to watch when it's your team doing it. Well, and he, you know, I remember Scott's first year here. He told everybody, he's like, you know, we watch film and, and, and these were one better block away from a lot of these seven yard runs being 37 yard runs. Mm-hmm. He's like, we can, and, and then, it, I mean, he was within a few weeks, like all of a sudden that stuff started to arrive. Mm-hmm. So the, there is just sort of a progression to it, too. Sure. Well, and speaking of blocking it, I mean, the offensive line brings back a lot of production and brings in a couple of key pieces, I think, from the transfer portal. Um, this is a group that, and I, I'll be real honest with you, Mark, I don't know a lot of names, but I know just in general, the feelings are good around this offensive line and what it's capable of. Yeah, Caleb Chandler is, uh, you know, came back for one more year. He's on everybody's, you know, All-American list. Uh, is a spec- is it just a fantastic uh player they only lost center cole bentley but brian hudson was a four-star recruit out of out of high school transferred in from virginia tech last year and <clears throat> saw some time uh, and they feel really good about center guard tackle with with caleb chandler and trevor reed it's funny to think though when scott got here they had six linemen like petrino had just done such a terrible job you know, of roster, they had like 17 wide receivers and six linemen, you know, and <laughs> it's funny because Scott, when he got here, he was like, where are the other linemen? They're like, no, this is the line. <laughs> and now, you know, he'll tell you that they feel like they've got 
nine deep, you know, where they could absorb a loss. They can give a guy a breather. You know, just it was Iron Man that first year mm. uh, in particular. It's the it's the number one place, I think, on the team that he has transformed and upgraded the talent the most is on the offensive line. And it it has another level like last year. The big thing they did his first two years, they gave up a ton of tackles for loss. But then they'd have a ton of big plays. Mm-hmm. And then last year, they they were one of the top 20 teams in tackles for loss. Not allowed, I guess. You know, fewest allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they would not. They still have that last step where it's like they're sort of like they move people now. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was a lot sharper, a lot better. But they got one, that one more level where they are imposing, where they're dominant. If you it's know, third and they two, haven't shown good that. handing the ball. You're going to get it. Yep. Yeah, that that's the thing that isn't there yet that would be like final stage for this group at least. So that's I guess that's a thing to keep an eye out on in some of the early games is if, if that's something that they can consistently do then. Mm-hmm. Receiver-wise, I, I am curious here because, I mean, the good news is you get Marshawn Ford back, and he's one of the best tight ends in the country. Um, really, really talented guy. He's, you were leading mm-hmm. receiver last year. On the other hand, your next two guys, your top two wide receivers, Jordan Watkins now at Ole Miss, Tyler Harrell now at Alabama. A um, little bit of a gut punch there, but anytime I guess you have guys like that leave, it makes room for new guys to step in? Yeah, I mean, the the guys who – it does, yes, uh, to answer your question. Uh, Jordan Watkins uh, and Tyler Harrell – you know, Tyler Harrell only had 18 catches last year, mm-hmm. but – by the end of the year and in spring, which he did here, amazingly, mm. uh, before and transferring after that, uh, not was, suspicious. Uh, have really did, yeah, exactly, did seem to really get comfortable. Like Tyler Harrell is hilariously fast, but not much else. But mm. they really had kind of developed that niche uh, for him, and I don't know who will be that guy. But uh, they'll tell you they feel good about the group. Uh, Tyler Hudson, the transfer from Central Arkansas. Uh, looks spectacular. Like they're really excited about him. And he's, uh, you know, one of these guys that maybe was under recruited out of high school. And now you're kind of going to get to see what he's capable of. D Wiggins came in from Miami. He was kind of productive at Miami. Uh, the the guy I'm excited about for them is Braden Smith coming back from injury uh, was excellent two seasons ago before he got hurt uh, with the ACL injury uh, last year. And then Amari Huggins, Bruce had a, a freshman year, I think he's one of those uh, true freshmen where when you watch him play, you're like, this guy has no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And like this is he's just like purely playing on kind of reactive athleticism, you know, like you, you can just tell he's winging it here. And he finally seems to be kind of past that and mm-hmm. is playing a little bit more cerebrally. So I, they I think they can be as good as last year. I think you can have a receiving year where it doesn't look like it's they're easy to defend, even if it's different guys. Hmm. Going to be interesting to see, I guess, you know, and it seems like since Satterfield's been there, they have found guys at receiver. And, and I think one of the things he does pretty well in terms of just coaching the offense is playing to the strengths of whoever he's got out there. And so if that's absolutely like you said, Tyler Harrell, basically running one route. It's a nine route, but he can outrun the secondary. Can you cover him? Yeah. So, yeah, 60 yard yeah. touchdown if he catches it. <laughs> so, yep, we'll be interesting to see what they're able to do with the receiving core there. Let's take a quick break to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for buying all sorts of great officially licensed Georgia Tech apparel. They have got all sorts of great T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Uh, They've got stickers now. They've got something for the whole family, men, women, children, everything. Go check them out. Once again, it's Section103.com. You're looking for shirts. 
that are in the official tech gold. You're looking for shirts with the ATL logo on them. You're looking for other officially licensed things. Those things are hard to find in a lot of places for some reason. I don't know why. You can find them all on section103.com. Again, go, go there, check them out. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. And, and again, they have some stickers that have just come out. Those, those are really cool. Everything is really high quality that I've gotten from them. Uh, I've gotten some of the performance shirts. I've got one of the hoodies. Um, everything I've got there is, is great, and it really goes great on a Saturday afternoon supporting the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at Bobby Dodd Stadium or anywhere else. You're in the Thriller Dome. You're at uh, McCamish Stadium. You're at uh, the Rusty Sea. You are going to a volleyball game. You need something to support Georgia Tech. Go to section103.com. They have great products. They are all officially licensed. Got those official word marks, the official colors, everything. Everything you could ask for, you can go find it all there. Once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order when you do go. Appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership with Basketball Conference. We look forward to another great football season partnering with them. And now let's get back to it. Defensively, I know that a couple of key players, and, and I know there's opinions on on one of these guys, but C.J. Avery, uh, a longtime linebacker, leading tackler, he's gone. Uh, Jack Fago also gone. Um, as, as this defense looks to improve, is, is there concern about losing some of these more experienced guys, or, or is there excitement more around some young talent? Well, when the defense isn't good, like sometimes uh, fewer returning starters is a good thing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, you know, in Louisville's case, they got uh, two really key pieces back from injury. They lost Monty Montgomery, the middle linebacker, who in the COVID year was was really just awesome. Like mm-hmm. he really had a great year and was one of the big pieces, one of the big reasons why they they improved as much as they did year two. They lost him in the second game of the year last year. Uh, and then Keecho Clark was, uh, you know, an all ACC candidate corner. He got hurt, you know, in the first uh, fourth of the season uh, last year as well. So like the two main cogs were, were gone. And I think they're excited about having both of those guys back. But the the thing that they did, Scott kind of looked at the team at the end of the year and was like, how come everybody's hurt and we are small and mm-hmm. I don't like it. And there was this big, we're going to get bigger. On the defensive side, you know, he came here with that app state mentality. We're going to be a one gap defense. We're going to be about 15 pounds lighter everywhere, but it's going to be fast. And that crap doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. it, they just got run over. I mean, hell, Georgia Tech did it. Like sure. they just, you know, they've been out physical by Kentucky, by Ole Miss, by Clemson, like uh, Pittsburgh, yep. Georgia Tech when they play like a number of times. So they've been addressing that. And I think this is the first year where that front seven in particular is going to be, it's going to look like a typical kind of three, four defense. You know, there's been a real, uh, commitment to sort of doing things philosophically a little differently, just in terms of how people are put together and combinations and that sort of thing on the defense. And hopefully that'll pay off. So I was going to say that's, I remember that being a huge sticking point, especially coming off the Kentucky game last year was just how much smaller Louisville looked in the trenches and really kind of on both sides of the ball, um, you know, yeah. both offensive and defensive line. And so it's it's good that we're not the only ones noticing that it's getting noticed in the in the coaching room as well. So That's the, I, it's, the, it's the one thing I'll give Scott credit for. It's it sounds like I'm like excusing or, or minimizing like the issues, but there is I think an above average amount of self awareness. Like some coaches will just sort of like not admit that they're like anything is wrong or that they were wrong about anything. And, and there's been a real like, yeah, we thought we could do this, but you know, three years into it. 
we're getting pushed around. We can't be doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and now we're going to change it. But without blowing it up, you know, it's not like they're panicking. You know, like we, like Chris Mack did that. Mm. Like his last year, Chris <laughs> Mack was like, all right, uh, I'm changing all my philosophies because we got to win. And then he didn't even believe it. And the team could tell. And it's not that. It's yeah. not that. I, I appreciate the authenticity there. <laughs> At least. Yeah. It's the vulnerability, right? Exactly. There you go. We all got to grow as people here. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We know you don't know it all. You can go ahead and admit it too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's safe space. Safe space. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am curious to get your take. One other thing on the defense is this defense last year only generated 15 turnovers. And I figure that's one of the pieces of that defense is if you are going to kind of play undersized and try to shoot gaps and do those kinds of things, it's kind of an aggressive style that you want to try to generate some turnovers to go with negative plays. Was that a, was that a point of contention at all this offseason of we got to figure out a way to do more of that? Yeah, it, it's more of the, of the, like, like the aggression. Like the the thing is, they are smaller and kind of a one gap quicker defense. So that was what they wanted to be, but then they were very passive. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd be a, a ton of uh, rush three and drop eight, and like that's easy. And, and and they were just couldn't get off the field, and it's just it, it, not being able to get off the field on like third and medium to long is like is a uniquely agonizing thing. It is, you know, when you know it's third and seven, and you're like. I don't think they're going to stop them here. And they don't, you know, like it's, it's agony. It really is. Uh, There's like a 75% chance they're going to convert this right now. Like, yes, (laughs) I can see it. You know, it's third and four and you got the corners given like a seven yard cushion, you know, stuff like that. Like it's just, it was agony. And I think this is where you bring in McGriff, Wesley McGriff to come in and sort of his influences and that sort of thing to be a different voice, just the Brian Brown. Like I think Brian Brown is a, is just a very conservative conservatively natured you know defensive coordinator and i think it it has hurt the defense but it's also hurt the offense you know in three years they've put up really good numbers overall but what they've never done is like scored and forced a three and out and scored again and all of a sudden you ran like five plays but you scored two touchdowns and you're like what the hell just happened mm-hmm. they've ne- or, or you score a touchdown kick it off and then you pick six mm-hmm. or you know, fumble and you take over on the opponent 11 yard line. Anyway. Like, what the heck is happening? They've never been able to bewilder anybody because they've not forced these turnovers. It's just been the most basic uh, Bill Connolly drives versus drives and nothing extracurricular impacts any of this. Mm-hmm. We're going to drive the football and either score a punt and you're going to drive and either score a punt. And no one's turning it over and nothing special is happening. And, man, it's hard as hell for anybody to win like that, much mm-hmm. less a Louisville. So, yeah, I think forcing turnovers and just overall pressure on the quarterback, more quarterback pressure, and then the, the turnovers and such that comes with that a heavy emphasis. God, let's hope they figured it out. I was going to say, the quarterback pressure thing, I think, gets a little bit underrated at times. It's like, oh, well, that just creates sacks. Well, sometimes it creates fumbles. And other times you speed him up and he makes a throw he shouldn't, and that turns into a yeah. pick. Like. You know, so there is a lot to be done there, or a lot to be accomplished there. If you are, you know, sending pressure from different angles, confusing the opposing offensive line, those types <laughs> well, of things. It's especially frustrating because they did it a lot at App State. Like mm. they, that was the reputation. It's like this defense will get after the quarterback and deflections and rush passes and all that sort of thing. And then it's been the 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 biggest thing they did at App well that has least translated here is is forcing turnovers on the defensive side Mm. if they if they were just replacement level in terms of forcing turnovers it would be worth probably two wins yeah 
given the way these games have gone. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you flip one possession from score into a short field for Louisville. I mean, that's a, yep. it's a huge deal. Uh, Mark, let's look at the schedule here real quick. And I, I don't know. I guess this is the return trip for UCF. Uh, that'll be the, the first out-of-conference game. The other out-of-conference stuff, you got a home game against South Florida, a, a home game against James Madison, and then obviously the road game to close the year at Kentucky in Louisville, in Lexington. Sorry. Um, the UCF game, that game was wild last year and the way that it ended, I remember watching it. It was nuts. Um, I, this, this seems like a relatively workable out of conference schedule. I guess a lot of it really would hinge on that UCF game. Yeah. Um, what's the expectation in the fan base for how that game goes? Is is there confidence that like, Oh yeah, we'll get that win. Or is it like, uh Oh, it's UCF. Oh, it feels 50, 50 and, and Louisville's had kind of a, a painful history with UCF mm-hmm. <laughs> at times. The 2013 game, I think, is one uh, that I don't think Louisville fans will ever get over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, understandably, it was just a terrible game. Uh, but last year's game was nuts. No, I think that, that uh, there's a very healthy respect for UCF. Uh, that game feels like a coin flip to me. But looking at the schedule in general, it is paramount that they get off to a good start. The last three games of the season – NC State, Clemson, at, or, uh, at Clemson, NC State, Kentu- at Kentucky. Uh, if, if Scott's good, if they're going to go, say, eight and four, see, he's going to have to be seven and two when they get to those last three games. Like, they're going to have to have a really, really good start to the season because those last three games, they'll be, I think, solid underdogs in all three. Mm-hmm. And, and while they've played well against NC State and they played well against Clemson, last year should have beaten Clemson, uh, those are going to be extremely difficult games. And, of course, they have not even – I don't think you could be convicted in court of playing against Kentucky the two times. That's, I mean, I mean, it's been it's – the, it's the most bewildering thing I've ever seen. They look like they don't – not only are they losing that game, they don't belong. And mm-hmm. it's a bizarre place uh, to be. And if there's probably one thing that can't happen this year – is it can't look like that in that game. Mm-hmm. You know, if he goes six and six, but they lose 49 to seven to Kentucky, like it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Right. Like you cannot, the six and six has got to look a certain way. Uh, and even if they don't win that game and winning at Kentucky has become a, a very good team mm-hmm. in the last four or five years under Mark Stoops and winning at Kentucky in the last game is going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Yep. So they've got to get out to a good start. The best thing Scott could do, get out to a two and zero start. And come back here, home opener against Florida State week three will be nuts. Mm-hmm. But if they start three and zero, they they it could be like a nine and three kind of season. Mm-hmm. It could, it could. And I'll be fascinated to see what becomes of Wake Forest with Sam Hartman now with some period of time uh, now. And NC State is just the opposite of Louisville. Like they have more expectations than I've ever seen for an NC State team, and certainly since Louisville's been in the league really in a long time. Mm-hmm. And all their games are like in the first third of the season or the first two thirds of the season. By the time that Louisville game gets here, this there's at least a chance, given the history, it's going to be an NC State team that perhaps is checked out. We'll see, or with everything in the world to play for, mm-hmm. which would only make their fans more miserable. You know how they are. Exactly. Well, and that's the week before they'll take on UNC too. So, <laughs> I mean, I realize you know Louisville could be a, a really good team and, and a good record and all that, but they'll always have that look ahead spot, you know, with, with UNC right after that. I mean, that, that'll always well, and, be on the table. And, and they don't trust good things either. Like NC State fans are like, oh, good things are happening. What are you trying to set me up for? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. they, I listened to, uh, or I did that uh, Twitter spaces 
on Monday with uh, Andrea Adelson and David Hale. Yeah. And uh, they had David Thompson for NC State. And they're like on they asked him both of them, like we're looking at this roster like there's not really a place that just screams like there's an issue with NC State. What's the biggest issue? And the answer was history. <laughs> The logo on the helmet? Yeah. yeah. God. Like, it's like whatever. Like, And it's funny because it is. It is the biggest thing with them. So Mm -hmm. the funny thing I think about this year, I think Louisville's uh, like this, and I think Florida State probably would tell you the same thing, that not a whole lot has to be different for them to go five and seven or nine and three. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there wouldn't be heavy statistical variance between the probabilities of, like, each of those records. Mm-hmm. And this thing could land anywhere. But if if they sort of hit the inside straight and, like, the three or four things that they're really banking on being different all hit, like, they really can be, you know, a nine and three kind of team. Uh, and then if it's any kind of variance of that or some percentage of that, well, then that's sort of where the record's going to fall. Yeah. Interesting early slate. As you mentioned, I mean, two road games to start the year at Syracuse uh, in the formerly known as Carrier Dome. And no, then the Dome. Are we just calling it the Dome? The JMA Wireless Dome. I, I ain't calling it that. That ain't going to stick. That ain't going to stick. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so at Syracuse and then Friday night, as we mentioned, at UCF in the Bounce House and then getting Florida State and South Florida at home. I, I mean, it, it takes me a while to go down this schedule and get to a game that I'm like, Louisville's probably going to lose that. And it, it honestly is probably the road trip to Clemson. Like every game before that, I mean, yeah. again, you get Florida State at home, you get Pittsburgh at home, Wake Forest at home. Uh, you know, maybe the toughest game before Clemson is the road trip to Boston College, you know, if, if anything. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think you're right. It, it is, it's a tough enough schedule that if they have a decent to good record, It'll it'll be a really good sign, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it has that. All the I mean, they play most of the teams that are ranked in the ACC in the preseason poll. But it's not so hard that it's like you can't hold the record against them, right? Mm-hmm. So like it's going to be a, it's a good enough barometer, I think, for for a guy that's in a, a contract year as a head coach. Like we're gonna know, mm-hmm. yeah. we're gonna, and the the bottom's gonna fall out and be like, all right, this is obvious for everybody, or they're gonna take a step forward and be like, all right, now. Now watch what happens when we bring in these recruits that are that are better than what they were bringing in so far. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a, a record prediction for us, Mark? How do you think this goes? I'm I'm going I'm going eight and four. I, I like I wiggle back and forth eight and four, seven and five, but I, I'll go eight and four. I think they'll get one of those last three, uh, and they get off to a good. I think they'll start three and zero, oh, and then I think you know they're, they're not so good that they're not going to sort of trip on somebody. Pittsburgh maybe or at Virginia. That game has been impossible for louisville uh, yeah. playing at virginia it's a weird it, virginia has become what yukon was when louisville was in the big east where like <laughs> you go and play in that weird quiet stadium uh the bermuda triangle just, <laughs> yes we used to call it yukon fog there would just be kind of this fog on the field and with the team god how do we lose this game 28 to 13 what the hell just happened <laughs> and virginia's been that for louisville yeah Gonna be an interesting year for Virginia too. A lot of a lot of reset there with with Tony Elliott and everything. But as you mentioned, I mean, I, in Charlottesville, I think there's a chance, and I, I don't want to poke on Georgia Tech here, but I think there's at least a chance in terms of the ACC that uh, the bottom four of that coastal division can really only beat each other, like Duke, Georgia Tech, and the two Virginias. Don't think you're like, wrong. I think it might be a long year for all of them. Yeah, and I hate that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, and it's it's. You look up and down the coastal, and I believe there's only one team that has the same head coach and starting quarterback as last year, and it would be Jeff Collins and Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech. Wow. 
every single wow. team either change coaches or change quarterbacks. Wow. It's kind of wild how it works out. Well, wow, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know what to do with either of the Virginia schools next year either. I don't. I don't know about either of those hires. I don't know. I don't know. And and I think both teams roster wise in a spot that I don't know how much we can take from whatever they do this fall. Like it's it might take a minute to to get either of those rosters yeah. in place. So I guess time will tell. You're right. Mark, this has been awesome. Um, so we're saying seven and five, eight and four is your thought. Um, I, yeah, I think the Vegas over under a six and a half. I'd take over that. I'd feel decent about that. Yeah, um, I think anything less. And that's I think you make a good point. This is this is a a tough enough, but still fair schedule yeah. that I, I think this is a really good barometer season for, you know, what are we building here uh, under under this current regime? So um, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I I lean seven and five, eight and four, something like that. And that's. Um, again, we mentioned that the offensive line getting better. You got another year of Malik Cunningham. You got um, hopefully some more voices in the defensive room that'll make some Im- improvements there. Like I schedule all that. I think I'm I'm kind of with you. Seven and five, maybe eight and four if, if things start to break right. Um, and and I really hope that game and Thanksgiving weekend is uh, a little more palatable than. And I hadn't even noticed this really until you mentioned it, but yeah, they've played Kentucky twice under Satterfield and they've lost by 30 plus points each time. Um, and that's, that doesn't really work well with your, with your rival, even when, you know, no. even when your rival is, is elevating themselves the way that uh, the Kentucky has been. So I know how that. No, goes. the last couple of years have sucked because it's like the Louisville Kentucky football game is Thanksgiving weekend. And then the basketball game is always like right around my birthday at new year's, oh. uh, new, new year's Eve. And like, so like, I get my Thanksgiving crapped on, you know, and then I get my birthday crapped on every like this rivalry's got to turn around, damn it. Somebody owes me here at some point. Exactly. Exactly. Need some joy there. Do it for me. Exactly. <laughs> for Mark. Do it for That's Mark. Right. Hashtag do it for Mark. Uh, Mark, really appreciate your time tonight. This has been incredibly helpful, incredibly insightful. Um, do you want to tell the people real quick where they can go find your stuff? Uh, yeah, I'm on uh, 93.9 The Ville here in Louisville. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Mark Ennis. Uh, and I would love to talk with any of you. Yeah. Go check it out. Mark, incredibly knowledgeable, uh, good good sense of the fan base. Um, we, we really appreciate having him on the program. Uh, Mark, thank you so much once again. I uh, hope you enjoy the fall. Hope, hopefully th- there is some joy in the uh, the Louisville football season for you. I guess Same to you, buddy. Same we'll for uh, Georgia Tech, too. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, we'll, we'll find out. It would be the first joy that Georgia Tech has had in a, in a minute, but, you know, we'll get it's there. It's been a while. <laughs> the last time Georgia Tech was happy is when they were just kept scoring on Brian Van Gorder. I was 28, there. 28th. Yeah, I was there too. That was, <laughs> that was, yeah, that was about the last. That time. was when we knew it was over. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Man, that was, that feels like that was like 10 years ago. It was like four years ago. It sure does. It sure <laughs> does, man. Golly. What a long year that was. Incredible. Uh, Mark, thank you so much. We look forward to having you on sometime again soon. All right. Anytime, dude. Once again, that was Mark Ennis of 93.9 The Ville, ESPN, Louisville. You can go check him out again on Twitter at Mark Ennis or on the radio on 93.9 in in Louisville Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on the drive. 
really appreciate him for all his time and all his insights. As he mentioned, kind of an interesting year here for Louisville in particular as it relates to Scott Satterfield and his job security. Uh, it's year four. It's time to prove kind of what's going on, and the schedule sets up that it's it's challenging but fair. And you get a lot of these tough games at home, so you have to show your fans and your boosters right in front of their very eyes. You know what are you building, and and how is this gonna is this really gonna work out moving forward? Especially as you've started, you know, getting some really high profile commitments. When they come in, how do they slot in? Is this is this going to work again? Is this going to meet the fan base's expectations? Which at a place like Louisville, those expectations kind of high at times. I mean, relative to what I think a lot of other ACC programs, you know, this is a school that has had some pretty high-level football teams over the last 20 or so years and kind of throughout its its history of its football program. So this is a, this is a fan base that, as Mark mentioned, kind of can be a little bit impatient or they are, you know, they're ready to see a winner. So we will see what the Cardinals are able to do this year. If I have to make an official prediction – I I think my official prediction I'll say seven and five. Um, just that that's me really just trying to correct a little bit from the uh, the optimistic fan in me that wants to say eight and four. Um, I, I I want to say eight and four. I've I've got a couple of questions with the way that they have lost some of their games over the last couple of years. That it seems like they've had this this capability of kind of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory at times. As we mentioned, I mean three. Three losses last year by a combined 10 points, and at least two of those lost on the final possession of the game, basically. So you had a lead and then lost. And when you're doing things like that on a fairly regular basis, um, I, I'm just going to downgrade my projection just a little bit. So I think 7-5 and five is reasonable. But as I mentioned, I mean, I, I'm not sure that there's a single game on this schedule that I would consider unwinnable. Uh, you get most of your toughest games at home, which is, is helpful and good. And certainly if this is a good team, I mean, Cardinal Stadium can be a really good environment and, and can be a bit of a hostile place to play. And so it, it just it depends on if you can get it rolling and get the fans to buy in, you know, midseason. And, and then if you can do that, I mean, October 15th hosting Pittsburgh, October 29th with Wake Forest, uh, November 19th with NC State. I mean, that could be uh, that could be three really good games to play at home and, and have some crowd support for. So I'm going to go with seven and five. I, I think Scott Satterfield sticks around at least for another year. Um We'll see on the defense. I mean, if, if he sticks around another year, it's going to totally depend on how the defense does this year. I, I could definitely see him moving on from Brian Brown after this year if things are still not going well on, on defense. But um, time will tell. And, and, you know, Mark mentioned how, how long of a, a history these guys have had together and how, you know, the connection between Satterfield and Brown. So who am I to say, you know, whether Brown would, would be able to lose his job or not. But anyways, I think seven and five uh, conservatively, maybe eight and four. I'm seeing on my local shop that there is a number on Louisville's regular season wins at five and a half over is minus 142. And I think I know what I'm doing as soon as I hit the stop button. Uh, I feel pretty dang good that they can win at least six games this fall. Um, I, I think it would be an enormous disappointment for them to not get to at least six wins. So, uh, you know, go, go check your local shop and see, uh, see what kind of numbers are posted that you might be uh, interested in investing in. Um, once again, that is a Joey Weaver betting guarantee. I would uh, I would take that with just you know the biggest grain of salt that you have ever seen, as with anything that I give you betting advice wise. So uh, you know don't don't act like that's one you can play like it's already been already been played. I, I would not recommend that. All right, seven and five for Louisville for me. Once again, huge thanks to Mark for coming on. Uh, Mike McDaniel, as I mentioned, is is finishing up paternity leave. I, 
there's actually a little secret here. As I record this the evening of August the 10th, he has actually begun recording a couple of previews himself. Um, you will be hearing those probably before you hear this one. So, uh, that'll, you know, this, this will all work out pretty funny, but anyways, Mike is coming back. I am about to go out on paternity leave. We don't have an exact schedule on that just yet, but, uh, I will be gone here for at least a couple of weeks. I'm going to try to make it back for the start of the season there. That first weekend of September might be a little tight, might be a little dicey. Um, it might be a bit of a, a modified thing. We're going to have to kind of play it by ear. Um, again, the, the, you know, baby's due date for, for what it's worth is like September the 3rd, but it's going to, it's probably going to end up happening before then, but just a matter of time to see how, how soon before then it ends up happening. But, uh, the, you know, there are a few pro- uh, priorities I have in my life that are bigger than the basketball conference podcast. And, uh, it turns out that parenting and my family is one of them. So, uh, if you have opinions on that and, you know, you think that that's a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a. Uh, me taking too many liberties with this this here content stream that you guys get for free. Uh, let me hear it on Twitter at Mike McDaniel SI. Um, I, I would love to hear your complaints there. Um, that's all I got. We're going to get out of here. Uh, the previews will continue as Mike starts picking up and uh, talking to some other guests himself. So keep it tuned here as we work our way towards the start of the season. Uh, we are, we're getting really close and and time, it is about time to go. Um, so get excited. It is, uh, is almost football season. Once again, keep it tuned here as we keep getting you ready as we work towards that opening weekend. In the meantime, come find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI together we're at BC podcast ACC. And once again, go find Mark Ennis on Twitter at Mark Ennis, all one word. Um, he is a, a great source for Louisville information, knowledge, and commentary. Uh, he's a lot of fun to have on, and we really appreciate him coming on once again. Uh, send us an email. Your questions, comments, concerns, the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. I know we have a, a couple of emails hanging out there. I, that's probably going to have to wait until Mike and I have a chance to get together again to actually answer a couple of them, but we have seen them. I appreciate those who send them. Um, go check us out on, on iTunes, on Spotify. That's where you can subscribe. You can follow. You can give us a five-star review. We would really appreciate that. That, that helps us out a lot, so uh, please do that. And go find us on the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, all those great places. Um, they are still our accounts, even if they look like they might be mildly dormant. Uh, turns out that parenting is a, uh, you know, it's a busy job. And, you know, some things slip at times, such as social media accounts for your for your podcast. But, you know, again, if you got opinions on that, let me know. I am at Mike McDaniel SI on Twitter. Uh, all right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, hopefully things go well for, for Louisville this fall, but we will keep you updated as we keep working into the fall. And, uh, you know, we'll see how things go for Scott Satterfield and co. Once One final thank you to Mark Ennis for coming on for all of his time and all his insights. Uh, we look forward to having him on again sometime soon. All right. That's all I got for tonight. Until next time, for Mr. Mark Ennis, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon, and until next time, go Cards and go ACC.